Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Discovery Debrief, a podcast that dives headfirst into the proverbial deep end of the latest trek into the final frontier, Star Trek Discovery. I'm co-host Chris Clow, and I'm joined by our bold panel of Star Trek franchise explorers, including Rachel Clow. Hello. Zaki Hassan. Howdy. And Cicero Holmes. I'm I'm going. I'm going. Get off my ass. <laughs> sir, get off my ass, sir. <laughs> oh, man. Excellent. Well, so this is kind of a, a, a bittersweet episode in the sense that we have now absorbed every episode of Discovery's second season. And there's a whole lot to discuss in terms of where this episode took us, what things we saw as we get ready to gear up for a huge change to the show's status quo in the upcoming third season. And hopefully we can even get into some nerdy talk about the hue of some railing we saw on the bridge of some ship. How about that? Of course, though, we're going to ease into our news and episode discussions by talking about what everyone has been up to since the last time we all got together. Zachy, why don't you kick us off? Well, I watched the first five minutes of All Good Things, and then uh, we, uh, you know, we watched like the teaser of the episode, and then uh, something happened, and now we're just waiting to get back to it. So, oh, okay. uh, All Good Things have not quite come to an end just yet. So <laughs> we're getting there. Yeah, I really still- am straining. It's like that's by accident, but you know, it's taken so long just to finish Next Generation. I think on an unconscious level, if I watch that final episode, then it's done. You know, <laughs> but in a weird way, you're going to be preparing yourself for the next appearance of Jean-Luc Picard. That's which true. The next next generation. generation. Right. Yeah. So uh, just for a little bit of a peek behind the curtain, we actually did try and get together last week to record this episode, but um, some technical difficulties on my part prevented us from moving forward with that discussion. So we've reconvened, but Zaggy has resumed his uh, fabled broadcast order rewatch of the Star Trek franchise and was going to watch all good things, but yeah. here I, we are. I did, I did watch the, the retrospective that they aired just before all good things aired back in 1994. Yeah, uh, which I didn't realize is on Netflix, and so I was like, "Man, I like I last time I saw that was twenty five years ago." It's kind of and a weird inclusion, isn't it? It is, and I'm I'm glad they have it. Sure, you know, and it's I'm crazy because I remember it so distinctly. I remember Jonathan Frakes as the host being so hammy and and Frakesy, you know, <laughs> uh, and and I loved it, and I and I loved watching it uh, with my boys. I mean, that's I, I always say, like for me, this 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 uh, journey through the Final Frontier that I'm going on is is a brand new thing for me because it's the first time I'm doing it as a dad, and I get to. You know, and Mike. I mean, when you think about it, my my oldest is is twelve, so he's not that much younger than I was when Next Generation ended, mm. which is very surreal when I think yeah, about it. You know, right. so uh, that's that's the fun of it for me. You know, and I've been watching Discovery with them too, by the way. So they they've been enjoying that. Oh, cool. Well, yeah. So when you guys do get through all good things, then have you? So you put the whole rewatch on hold. So you're going to jump back into DS9. Jump back that. in. That's the goal. Go, chronological. When we get to Voyager, we'll get there. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah. It sounds awesome. Well, I'm I'm glad that uh, that's something that we get to talk about with you on the on the journey going forward. Nice. Cicero, what have you been up to, man? Uh, well, so I am doing the journey backwards. Uh, I have not gotten into DS9 yet um, mm-hmm. because I've been all about uh, 
you know, I, I've reached the end game, guys. I've reached the end game. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I've I've only I've only kind of consumed that once. But between that and Game of Thrones, it's just a lot to consume. <laughs> um, so, uh, and and uh, the plan is definitely to go back and 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 watch uh, both of those things again. Uh, with regards to Trek, uh, speaking of uh, Star Trek: Next Generation, I am watching uh, the spiritual successor to Next Generation, which is uh, the brilliant now Orville. Um, mm-hmm. the Orville and uh, I have yet to, to watch the series, the season finale. Uh, I'm happy to report that it has been picked up for a third season. Um, so, or at least that is as heavily rumored that it has been picked up for a third season. So hopefully uh, that rumor turns out to be true. Uh, I, I, man, the show is incredible. It is, it is, uh, they have really, really done a great job of uh, scratching that TNG itch and have have now evolved into kind of its own thing still in that, but still giving you that same flavor of of TNG with with, uh, you know, with a little bit of Seth MacFarlane thrown in for uh, a good measure. But the stories are really, really good. Yeah, I was I was pretty happy with the Rachel and I watched the season finale. What was it? Just like a few days ago, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. And um I was pretty uh, the idea of uh well they introduced the idea that's the impetus for the season finale uh at the end of the penultimate episode. Sure. Okay. Uh and um and it's a pretty uh, without giving anything away, I think that it used a relatively traditional Star Trek trope in telling a story that could really only be told on the Orville with these characters. And there's some surprises along the way. So I'll be interested to know what you think once the finale actually takes place in, in your living room. Right. right. (laughs) Absolutely. I'll be more than happy to uh, report. Yeah. Excellent. And Rachel, you like that show overall now that you've seen the whole second season. Yeah. Yeah. I do like it. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, you know, not too Seth MacFarlane. Um, <laughs> Which is a weird thing to say, kind yeah, of. Yeah, it's a uh, it's very hard sci-fi. I like it. It's mm-hmm. good. Yeah. yeah. Well, before I tell everyone what we were up to, what have you oh, yeah. been up to, Rachel? Since the last time we got together to record, all this? I can think of is work stuff, Chris. I don't oh know. God. No. <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't know what have I been up to. Uh, well, we went to Star Wars Celebration, and uh, you know, uh, you uh, we have a fun story to tell about that. But uh, before we tell it, I would just like to say that I feel I have misjudged Star Wars fans as a whole. Mm-hmm. I think that I got an impression of what that fandom was like from the internet, and I think there's just a few thousand kind of loud annoying people and everyone else is super great because star Wars celebration was just like everyone there was like so cool and so positive and was doing amazing cosplays like beyond the quality of anything I've ever seen. So great. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just, it just really made me reflect on how the internet can make you think that things that are 
a minority opinion are, you know, everything just because they're the loudest. Yeah. And, uh, so true. The reality is that most people are, are cool people. So, yeah, I mean, I was in, I was literally in the same room with Kathleen Kennedy multiple times at celebration and did not hear anything cross from the, from the pretty big audiences that I was assembled with where she made an appearance and I kind of, I mean, I expected to, but you're absolutely right. Those minorities, when they get on their megaphones, just drown stuff out. I mean, you were kind of afraid to go. Yeah, Man, not, hold I'm on. A- that was a that was a soundbite that uh, <laughs> yeah, will, kill, will keep you from running for office. Those Stop. minorities, when they're on those megaphones. Oh, well, the, the, <laughs> the, oh good God. <laughs> Can you repeat that? He then said those minorities. He then repeated those minorities. Oh, no. See, this, uh, context is thing. king, man. Context <laughs> is for kings. Oh, yeah. God. The minority crazy <laughs> Star Star Wars fans, right wing, <laughs> who, who lean on, on Paul right, who would say things like the, the thing I just said. Apparently, oh in my a god, context. yeah, in, in in a much different context, I assure you. But uh, no, I, mean, I, I think Chris, just just to you know, uh, just to pick up on what you're saying, and uh, you guys were there, but seeing online the rapturous reception that Ahmed Best got, that Kelly Tran got, yes, uh, it was really heartening to me, uh, especially knowing what we've heard recently about how Ahmed Best was was driven to contemplate suicide because of people shitting all over Jar Jar. Yeah, I mean. But- it's horrifying, you know. I, I was in the room for for that panel. I went to the Wintrust Arena specifically for the Phantom Menace panel, which was packed to the gills on a Monday morning. Wow! Which you, I mean, it's the Star Wars celebration, sure, but still, it's a movie that is often derided, and uh, it had just they they kicked off that panel by showing the Phantom Menace trailer. That you know, hmm. people went to theaters to watch back in yes. was it 1998, and uh, and just a rapturous applause, raucous reactions from the crowd, and yes, absolutely. When Ahmed Best was introduced, it got really loud in the Wintrust Arena, and deservedly so. And the only hmm. message that was recorded by the Papa of Star Wars, George Lucas, was played for the Phantom Menace panel attendees. And I felt even in a weird way, I felt kind of honored to be there because he was talking to the people who do enjoy that movie a lot. And, uh, and he even said Jar Jar is still his favorite star Wars character in that recorded message. (laughs) (laughs) So so up yours, all you guys. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But he also said that he loved each and every one of us. And of course, you know, it's a recorded message, but I had a hard time not believing him because we were all assembled to celebrate the Phantom Menace's 20th anniversary again on a Monday morning. Right. Well, uh, then, then he put on his monocle and he dove into his money bin. Right. Yeah. Chris, Chris, let me ask you something. You were what, like ten when Phantom Menace came out? Uh, yeah, thereabouts. Uh, uh, Eleven. Yeah. So, I, so what did you what did you think of it when I watched it at the time? I mean, it was made for me. You know. Yeah. I, mean, I liked it when I saw it. The yeah. 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 A lot. I mean, that's that's my thought. Is like. Time has proved him right. It has. Well, and that's the thing is that, so at the time 
you know, it was clearly made for, for my age group. Uh, it was also a cultural event that was really easy to get caught up in. So mm. I appreciated it for that. But then as time has gone on and as a 31 year old man now, the thing that I appreciate about the Phantom Menace and the prequels at large was that it was telling a political story. You know, sure. I mean, I'm, right, I'm, sure. I'm a political hey. science graduate right. and right. stories mm-hmm. of descents into tyrannical rule uh, <laughs> usually begin with a boring political issue like a trade dispute. And then the the prequel trilogy follows that kind of trajectory and it tells a story pretty brilliantly. When you take a look at the rise of Palpatine and the rise of the empire and the political machinations that he was putting into play and trying to pit certain powers against each other before he seizes his opportunity by starting a war to consolidate power under his sole rule, that's a pretty compelling story. People just get distracted by the inclusion of Jar Jar. But I'll tell you, I don't I don't hate Jar Jar, and everything that they did with Jar Jar in the Clone Wars only solidifies that he's actually a pretty interesting character. So uh, maybe people will burn me enough for saying that who listen to this show. Uh, but burn the witch. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I will just I will just say, uh, guys, imagine if the internet existed when Return of the Jedi released in 1983, because there were enough grown men who loved, you know, who loved the new hope, who loved uh, empire, who were grown men and watching Ewoks. Um, And the fact that, that Luke Skywalker, spoiler alert, that Luke Skywalker and, and Leia Organa were, were brother and sister were twin, were twin siblings. Um, th- the vitriol that would have existed at that moment um, would have would have would have probably dwarfed the Jar Jar comments. Um, you know, my biggest my biggest beef was not Jar Jar and and his uh, quasi Samboish uh, manner right. of, of of speaking, but the fact that Anakin Skywalker was essentially Jesus, mm-hmm. um, and that you know that his his mom was was uh, you know had some kind of midichlorian based immaculate conception that really kind of was like well, oh, see God, this sorry. is one of the problem, and I don't want to delve too deeply right. into Star Wars. It's too late. Uh, it's uh, too late. Prequel <laughs> debrief. Right. Yeah, but, but one of the problems that I kind of have with the Star Wars universe in general is that it keeps a lot of really kind of important storytelling details that are retcons, I'll grant you, but still important, isolated to expanded universe material. Yes. You yes. know, like character and, and you know the merchandising because like merchandising is sometimes the most reliable source you can get for a character's name which right. is really bizarre and i think it's kind of right. unique to star wars but i mean expanded universe stories have done a really good job of fleshing out some of those moments that you saw in any of the movies and it's kind of like the the tarkin book i read the tarkin book which is technically canon that was written by james lucino and it has some really fascinating details about tarkin's backstory the Catalyst Rogue One novel was really good, but yeah, that stuff just kind of gets lost in in the expanded universe side of things, which is you could argue a shortcoming of the movies. But you know, it's kind of weird. Rachel mentioned the other day, twenty nineteen is a year of endings. You know, because not only well, Game of Thrones that's the last season, but 
you know, we're also getting Avengers Endgame, which we'll talk about on this show. Spoiler alert, but we're planning to. And not this episode. Not this, this episode. This is just the Star Wars. Right. This is just the Star Wars episode, apparently. <laughs> right. And uh, and the rise of Skywalker. And right. you know, right. I mean, kind of with Discovery, there's kind of an ending to it that that we'll have to talk about. But let let, let me put a pin in the Star Wars celebration discussion with a story that you guys have heard, but that I am now finally getting the chance to tell our listeners about. So. Um, Rachel and I went – Rachel's only day at the Star Wars Celebration was on Saturday, which was April the 12th. And um, there was a guest at the Star Wars Celebration that is relevant to this show's interest in the form of Mr. Jason Isaacs. And for those of you that don't know, Jason Isaacs voiced the Inquisitor on the first season of Star Wars Rebels, which is – Uh, the Emperor's personal strike force to try and get rid of Jedi that survived Order 66. But of course, Jason Isaacs is Captain Lorca. How could you not know that? So Rachel and I decided that we would get an autograph from Jason Isaacs uh, because it makes sense. You know, what other opportunities are we going to get to meet him? And on a whim, I decided to bring my recorder along. Because as co-hosts of a Star Trek Discovery podcast, what are the chances that we would be able to talk to to Captain Lorca? So Rachel and I get in line to get our item autographed by Mr. Isaacs. And as as we're getting closer, I mean, I'm starting to get nervous. Uh, We get a little bit closer to his table and there's a handler there who's kind of managing the line. And uh, I kind of start talking to him. And I just kind of ask him, do you think that he might record something for me? And the guy says, I don't think so. Uh, uh, I'm not going to tell you that you can't ask him, but I seriously doubt he's going to do it. And at that point, Rachel looks at me and says, don't do it. Don't do it. I'm a very socially anxious person. (laughs) And so at this point he is in view of us. And you know, when you see someone, that you've you know watched on a screen for a long time in real life there's a it's it's got a it's there's a very surreal kind of disconnect so the blood's starting to pump into my my uh my brain and uh i look over at rachel and she looks a little bit nervous and she's just telling me that i should just not do it and so within the span of probably like 90 seconds i'm thinking okay i'm not gonna do it ah but what's the worst that could happen so we get up to Jason Isaacs, who's just the coolest dude on the planet, I think is pretty safe to say. The item that we chose to have autographed was our season one steelbook of Discovery. And I saw tons of people with Star Wars stuff, obviously. I saw quite a few people with Harry Potter-oriented stuff because he played Lucius Malfoy in the, the Harry Potter movies. I didn't see anybody else with Star Trek stuff. I mean, that doesn't mean that there weren't people there with Star Trek stuff. I just right. didn't see them. Uh, well, I, there was nobody else. It was just you guys. Perhaps not. <laughs> but um, he, he starts looking through our steelbook. It doesn't seem like he had ever seen it before. He's, he seemed pretty interested in it, wouldn't you say? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like he's thumbing through it and it's on, was it four discs? Yes. 
And he just goes, this is a little excessive. They stretched it out to four discs. Oh, Chris, your British accent's real bad. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Apologies to anybody who... It's excessive, isn't it? I thought you were were at a German castle looking for tapestries. (laughs) We we saw Hamilton a couple weeks ago, so now I've got King George in my head. That's that's probably my problem. Uh, So a few minutes goes by. He starts to... We're talking a little bit, and I have my recorder in my pocket, and I bring it out, and I say, you know, we actually host a Star Trek Discovery podcast. Would it be possible for you to record a plug for us? And instantly, the person, what was it, to his right? Yeah, it was like a handler or producer person. Yeah, she just goes, no. And he seems very apologetic. He says, I'm sorry, the promoters, they frown on that kind of thing. And uh, Oh, I'll get in trouble with the promoters. Yeah, yeah. He, he says he'll get in trouble. But then he asks, what's your show? And I tell him uh, it's called Discovery Debrief. And to my shock and amazement, and Rachel's too, I'm sure, he goes, oh, I've listened to that one. <laughs> And I think my eyes were now half of my face. <laughs> right. So, I mean, I I have no idea if that's true, obviously, but even if it's not true. Are you calling Jason Isaacs a liar? <laughs> I say we take him at his word. I, yeah. I'm just saying that there's no way I could verify that that was true. Hi, Jason. Thanks for listening. A man's a Starfleet captain, damn it. That's right. But but even if it's not true, that is a really cool thing to say. He didn't have to say that. And if he has listened to the show, how amazing is that, that Captain Lorca and maybe potentially other members of the show that we profile uh, has actually listened to what we have to say about it. Yeah. And then after he says that, it's a little bit of a blur in my head. <laughs> but... <laughs> he he gets up from his chair and he walks behind the curtain and he gestures toward us to follow him. So Rachel and I kind of awkwardly climb between the tables of his autograph stand and move quickly behind the curtain. Uh, and then this happened. Are you listening to Discovery Debrief? And uh, so did I. It's Jason Isaacs, who was, at some point, some version of Captain Lorca. Right now, I'm just a fan. Thank you so much. Sweet. That was amazing. (laughs) And thanks, guys. We're out. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Right, yeah. (laughs) See you next season. I mean, if I if I hadn't recorded that, I I don't think it wouldn't have actually happened. Like I I, I can't actually make the connection that he was that awesome. So, Mr. Isaacs, if you're listening to this, thank you so much for doing that. You made our year, I think, and um, and you have nothing but admiration and appreciation from from the crew of Discovery Debrief. That is. Uh, that is a singularly defining moment that I've had at any convention that I've gone to. And, uh, you know, and I, I, I've said this before to you guys, but I'll say it again. You know how they say, don't meet your heroes, meet your villains. There you go. 
Hashtag Lorca lives. Yes. <laughs> and I told him I hope so. I told him I hope so. But that's actually going to be a topic of, of uh, discussion that we'll, we'll get into. He lives in the year 3000. Yeah, well. we'll... <laughs> so um, let's move along to our to the reason that we're here, our discussion for Star Trek Discovery Season 2, Episodes 13 and 14, called Such Sweet Sorrow. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to do a quick and dirty recap. I'm just going to read through the plot very quickly of both episodes uh, because this is going to be kind of a freeform conversation. So part one, Discovery escapes and rendezvous with the Enterprise with Discovery evacuated onto the other starship. From there, they initiate the self-destruct mechanism for Discovery, but the sphere data takes control of Discovery systems and prevents this from happening. It also defends itself from torpedoes. Burnham proposes that the time crystal be used to take Discovery itself to the future, where Control cannot get to it, planning to wear a copy of her mother's suit to lead the ship there. Pike agrees and resumes command of the Enterprise to keep Control distracted. A new signal appears, leading Discovery and the Enterprise to the planet Zahia, which is ruled by Tilly's friend, Queen Mehani Ikahali Kapo, or Poe, a brilliant engineer, Poe assists Stamets, Tilly, and Reno with preparing the suit and time crystal for the journey. A few of the Discovery's crew, as well as Spock and Giorgio, choose to stay with Burnham. Pike makes Saru acting captain of Discovery, and as the Section 31 fleet arrives, Discovery prepares to make the jump into the future. That's part one. In part two, Tyler retrieves the Klingon fleet to assist in the battle while Serana arrives with the Kelpians in Ba'ul fighters after receiving a farewell message from Saru. Stamets is seriously injured and is cared for by Dr. Culber. A Section 31 torpedo penetrates the Enterprise without detonating, but a secondary detonation kills Admiral Cornwell after she seals off the surrounding area. Leland, controlled by... uh, control, boards Discovery and is defeated by Giorgio with magnetism, allowing Section 31's fleet to be destroyed. In the suit, Burnham travels to the past and sets the five signals that led them to this point. She then sets a sixth for Discovery to follow as she travels into the future and promises to set a seventh when they safely arrive there. The crew of the Enterprise tells Starfleet that Discovery was destroyed in the battle and are ordered to never speak of Discovery or its crew again on Spock's recommendation to prevent another incident like the one that happened with Control. Tyler is placed in command of Section 31, and months later, the Enterprise detects the seventh signal as it sets course for a new adventure. So a lot, a lot to take in, um, and something that completely changes the potential status quo for what we know is coming in season three. Zachy, this two part season finale, what did you think? And what do you think of, uh, of the way that it's setting the show up for the future? I mean, so many, so many amazing moments. I think, I think, uh, the, the first season of this show was a bit of a shakedown cruise. It had to sort of justify its existence. And I think, this second season has really been for those people who were willing to not be sort of indentured to a specific vision of what Star Trek is supposed to look like. Uh, it's rewarded uh, their viewing, uh, you know, sevenfold. It's 
it's done so much right. And we can, we can get into the weeds and quibble about certain ways that it attempts to tie up canon. But I think the mere fact that the show and the showrunners did use this season finale to say, yes, we are uh, making a good faith effort to make this fit with everything we've seen before that shows that they do care. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that, you know, complaint. Oh, they, these people don't care about Star Trek. That's demonstrably not true. Because just look at the uh, the characterizations that we've seen. Look at look at the the moral quandaries that our characters have been faced with. This is Star Trek to its very core. It's about exactly this: about the type of person you want to be, uh, and model. You know, modeling uh, uh, what it means to live in Gene Roddenberry's conception of the future. Mm-hmm. Very well said. And um, are you able to make a determination about whether or not you enjoyed season two more than season one? I absolutely did, with, without a question. You know, and and I liked season one, just to be right. very clear. Uh, but to me, this was next level, and and I fully admit, and you guys know this because I've been like I've been like on a pike high for <laughs> the whole season. It's you know, like a good thirty percent of that is just Anson Mount all by his lonesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will. I I I don't want to imagine uh, there not being more adventures of of Anson Mountain as Christopher Pike. Like just thinking of that makes me mm-hmm. sad. Uh, that being said, I think the the fact that Discovery is now off in Star Trek's truly uncharted future that makes me excited. So it's it's this mixture of sadness and excitement, which to some extent I would imagine is what the characters in the show are feeling. Sure. You know, so it is it is appropriate. Mm-hmm. Very well said. Cicero, you had expressed some nervousness previously about whether or not the season finale was going to be able to stick the landing. Did two parts help and did it? And what did you think of it? Uh, yeah, they they even got a 9.8 from the German judge. So um, they they <laughs> they really they really did it. Uh, it, it was um, it was a it was a brilliant stroke and, and kind of to piggyback off of what Zachy was saying. Um, about about uh, people kind of uh, being um, I don't know bullheaded in their uh, in their commentary about uh, canon and and uh, the the writer's inability to to uh, to uh, make all of the all of the 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 history make sense. Uh, you know, the thing that I had been preaching throughout the course of the season, the thing that I, I felt confident in saying early and the thing that I felt uh, consistently, um, they they made me seem even more wise than I already believed myself to be throughout the course of the season was these guys understood the canon. They were aware of the canon um, and that and as they were making the decisions that they were making. Um, they were fully cognizant of where they were and how to make all of that stuff fit within within the auspices of um, this, you know, sacrosanct, uh, 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 you know, canon, you know, canon. This the the dogma that mm-hmm. is that is Star Trek, especially in this era of of you know the the TOS era of of the Federation and and of Star Trek lore, uh, and they did a brilliant job of, of that. And 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 again, um, were was able to within a couple of lines, 
explain all of the things that that would have led you, you know, that that had that that people had questions about. Um, you know, why don't we know about the discovery? Why don't we know about the spore drive? Why haven't we heard of Michael Burnham? Why haven't we done, you know, why doesn't uh Spock ever talk about his sister? You know, all of those things, all of those questions were answered very easily. It was, you know, it was it, I mean, it really was, it was the epilogue of the episode and within the epilogue of the episode, all of those questions were answered uh, definitively uh, to, you know, in, in such a way that I don't think that anyone who was watching and had those questions was dubious of their ability to kind of get themselves out of uh, that spider web. Um, I I think all of those questions were answered and, and they did it, you know, incredibly well. Uh, The casting, uh, the main crew, of course, has been great. Um, Anson Mount, uh, man, I'm, I am so glad that I've seen him in something other than um, the worst show that was ever created. Inhumans. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, uh, I'm, I'm glad I actually get to hear him speak because he was, he was really great. Uh, I'm glad that, and you know, it's funny because we we came out, I came out famously and said, it has to be, you know, we 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 have to have uh uh oh crap, why, why can't I think of his name now who who played Spock in in uh in the movies? Quinto. Um, Quinto, yeah. We had to get Zach Quinto. It has to be Zach Quinto. And you know, and the fact that that you know we wound up with Ethan Peck instead, um didn't it, it, initially I wasn't all that enthused. I did want to take a wait and see kind of attitude about it. And um, Ethan Peck didn't disappoint. Anson Mount didn't disappoint. And even the best part was the entire season, Ethan Peck as Spock was bearded mm-hmm. until the very, you know, until the very end of, of the, the season. And then we got to see the Spock that we know and love. And he fit there as well. Right. Um, and, and so, I mean, just brilliant. There's, uh, there are a bunch of brilliant and thoughtful people in the writer's room. There are a bunch of brilliant and thoughtful people in the casting room. And there are a, are a ton of brilliant and thoughtful and caring and good people uh, within the cast. Um, and it, and it just it just oozes out of the tape out of the TV screen. Very well said, Rachel. The season finale of Star Trek Discovery season two. What did you make of it? Did it stick the landing for you? Uh, eight out of ten. Okay. <laughs> um, I really liked everything that happened. There was a lot of stuff that I. Maybe was a little bit fan servicey, but I am a fan and I felt serviced. Mm-hmm. Um, I was happy. Uh, like when Laurel said, perhaps today is a good day to die. That was a pretty good was, moment. Yeah. Right yeah. Yes. Uh, so that was, that was cool. Um, I think, you know, my, my quibbles come from perhaps some uh, structural issues with the way that they broke up the two episodes, the two parts. I felt like the first part was a bit slow and the second part was like 
like blow your hair back like too much is going on <laughs> uh, this is not a new critique on my part uh right. that there's a lot of like i'm like i don't know why you're pacing it how you're pacing it but um it didn't you know really diminish my enjoyment that much um yeah i think there's a few plot points when i thought about them more didn't maybe entirely hold up to scrutiny uh you know what what's coming to mind is the like the discovery just refuses to self-destruct itself mm-hmm. right. uh, <laughs> and we don't know this till like it's already all happening like i feel like there's you know i they, maybe they could have tried a little bit harder <laughs> to explain that but again i don't think that that necessarily took away from my enjoyment of the episode or of the season um i think that it you know emotionally hit all the beats that i wanted to see or experience Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah, i I do want to kind of say uh you know kind of piggyback off of what rachel is saying is and and that um especially in the last two episodes especially once we we all kind of had a sense that time was running out that they you know they're running out of time to tell the story um they were coming up with solutions that were very sciency because science <laughs> and like that was you know and that's how they were doing it and it was just you know at those points and, and again I will defer to Rachel when it comes to all of that stuff cuz she's the expert in and in the field, especially all here. All sciences. Yes, all sciences, all of them, all of them, geology. Um, <laughs> but like the the fact is that even I was, you know, I was watching them and and listening to it and I was like, uh, you know, this is, this is very hokey, but I'll give you a pass because you've got to just make things work, right? Yeah. Um, so like, all right, fine. As long as it follows whatever goofy rules you guys are setting up within your universe, then, then just go ahead and do it. I don't know that they actually did, but, but like, it it was like, okay, let's go. You know, we've, we've got a job to do and we're not going to let science and explanations and, and, you know, logic get in the way of that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yes. I think <laughs> I think the uh yeah I I have a continuous uh debate with myself over how much is um how much is like totally unbelievable science like a problem for me in shows and I don't I don't have a hard and fast rule it's just like I I know when something that I'm watching it's bothering me and i know when it isn't bothering me and i don't know if i could tell you when it does and when it doesn't bother me and in this episode there was a few things that bothered me after the fact but during it i was like okay yeah sure like you know she I guess Michael can't go to the future till she's gone to the past for reasons. Right, I, right, like, right, right. I mean, at that point, it's like well, time travel is you know not real, so you just make up whatever rules you want. That's sure. fine. Um, the worst example of this I can think of is not a Star Trek thing. It's in. Uh, amazing Spider-Man when they have the trans species genetics and that somehow <laughs> right. like, putting animal DNA in you makes you into that animal. And I'm like, but that's like directly my field. And like, 
I'm sorry, guys, but we're doing transspecies genetics all the time, <laughs> and no, nothing's changing into anything else. It's not how it works. We all have the same DNA. Um, <laughs> and that is the worst problem with the amazing story. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Other than that. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> But but yeah, so I don't have hard and fast rules, but sometimes things just bother the hell out of me. Can can I just pick up on something uh, Rachel just said? I, I think uh, I can draw a corollary to Avengers Endgame, mm-hmm. uh, which I'm assuming we'll at some point spend more time talking about. But you know, both both uh, this finale and that finale both involve a lot of timey wimey with yes. probably yes. stuff. Uh, but they also uh, involve culminating in in so, is something uh, very emotionally satisfying, and and in both of these instances that that was that was where I landed where I was like I I can totally get lost in the weeds on how the time travel it, like is making my brain turn into pudding, uh, but I think both Discovery and Avengers stuck the landing in that they used the time travel aspect as as a key part of the narrative, but it ultimately was about coming to a point at something that feels emotionally truthful, uh, and that's what worked for me in both instances. Not not contradicting anything Rachel said, but just sort of that's where my thought process went as I was listening. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. Um, yeah, it's when it's when it's used to further the narrative, it. And it doesn't get too crazy or bogged down in things. Yeah. It, it's it's effective. Um, yeah. So I think there was also um, some, for me, uh, a bit missed missed opportunities to sort of uh, talk about Pike and his fate with the uh, this this um, situation with Admiral Cornwell and the uh, missile <laughs> or right, right, torpedo. Right. Uh, I think they really glossed over that in a really quick way. And I felt like it could have been explored a little bit more because he could could definitely change his fate right there. Like no beep boop machine. You just get, (laughs) you just get exploded. Um, And I think they just, he's like, Oh, well maybe if I stay in here, it won't happen. And I'm like, Oh, but the admiral said he still got more to do. Yeah, so. I, I don't know. <laughs> oh. Also, maybe maybe the Federation should design uh, explosion-proof doors with handles on both sides. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, this is how that they. This is after this it occurs. Right, to yes, them. yes, <laughs> yeah. They're like, ah, oh, damn! <laughs> it's like the Titanic and its watertight doors that are mm-hmm. only watertight on the bottom. Not it the did bottom. take it did take a fire on the command module before they realized that maybe the door should be opened on the inside. Ah, yeah. okay. there you go. So, uh, yeah. So, right. <laughs> it's been um, years when it is too. Yeah, I, I will say that the the Admiral Cornwell death um, was was telegraphed. Uh, it Don right in, in such a in such a ham fisted way, um, you know, like it, it like I knew it was coming for like twenty minutes, and and that that was what, what, what was coming. Uh, I'm sorry, Cicero. I think I, I the, the Admiral Cornwell death. Ah, uh, yeah, sure, yeah, sure. Yeah. That that was that was telegraphed. Um, you know, uh, just just really, really, really poorly, but. Uh, but you know, again, it was one of those things where 
like, all right, I see this coming. Let's let's make it happen. Let's get it over with. Um, I understand the the emotional resonance that it's supposed to have. Um, and and you know, like it's it's all in service of getting us to the end. So let's do it. Yum yum. Yeah. That's what I have to say to that. Oh, all right. Well, that piece of dialogue, by the way, is the literal worst I've ever heard. In this <laughs> that, was, that was a weird moment. It like really didn't fit with the tone of that. <laughs> what? Did I imagine that? You really didn't. I've yeah. just been confirmed. I did not. It's what she says. It's the way she says it. It's like you wonder, like, what direction was she given? How did they end up at that moment? Like, you start, I don't know, I started reverse engineering that <laughs> back to the writer's room. Like, somebody wrote that. Somebody gave it to the actress. Somebody directed her how to say it. How many takes did she say before they arrived at that one? It's how many Editors, questions. like, looked at that final cut and thought it, like, was appropriate. <laughs> right. 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 Did you pull that out? Oh, damn it. Oh. <laughs> You put that back in. <laughs> well, um, when it comes to my thoughts on the season finale, um, see, this is this is really unusual territory for me to be in. Chris what? Agony booth. Chris is a hater. Oh, he's not. Tell him why you're mad, son. I hate is too strong a word. Um, I felt like this season finale had way too many similar problems compared with the last one. Uh, I mean, not that the, the way that this season culminated did not have a lot of emotionally satisfying moments or even canonically satisfying moments. Uh, it did, but I really thought that Cornwell's death was just unnecessary. I, I didn't. I didn't see why that necessarily had to happen. Um, throwing in the Kelpians in the final battle seemed out of place to me. <laughs> they made uh, a lot of progress, <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, the, <laughs> the last time we saw them, they were just sort of starting to come to terms with the idea that maybe their place in society is going to be completely different after they discover not only that they've been lied to, but there's a whole new biological reality that they have to contend with. You know, they thought that that was a death process when it was actually more just like a maturation process. Maybe they are having a intense adolescence that involves hijacking Ba'ul fighters and flying around. Well, that's another thing too, right? I mean, and I know that I'm probably getting way too insular in, in looking at this, but they go from being uh, theologically driven kelp farmers to competently flying alien fighter jets alongside Federation starships and Klingon starships. And uh, that, for some reason, it was that moment that really just kind of took me out of it. Uh, you don't remember the scene um, when when they were at uh, when they were you know dealing with the Kelpians where they uh, bullseyed womp rats with their T-16s. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, <laughs> oh, I, I must have missed that it's part. Just like Beggars uh, Canyon back home, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> and the Star Wars references just. <laughs> 
<laughs> but um, but beyond that too, you know, I, I I can't dispute any of what you guys are saying in terms of the fact that the writers clearly care about where to sort of nestle these episodes over the course of the first two seasons in a very specific spot in the canon. That's fine. It, I guess I just expected more from the rationale uh, of, of how it would fit in and, and the, the method by which it fits in. Because uh, it, it seemed, I don't know, it almost seems just dismissive. I don't really like the idea of these characters that we've spent two years getting to know so well being brushed under the rug and never being recognized for their contributions to the Federation. That, I mean, granted, the show is still going. We haven't seen the last of them. That much is very clear. We're getting a whole other season with these characters. But I I don't know. I, I guess I just kind of feel a little bit weird about them not having that recognition. And honestly, while part of me does believe, yes, it's really exciting that we're pushing far beyond the bounds of where the canon lies and it can really chart new territory. Another part of me just thinks that it's too far removed from the the universe that we know. Like even the next generation being roughly what 70 years or so after where we saw the the TOS crew uh by the time the sixth movie rolled around, it's it's close enough to have an impact on on what we understand the Star Trek canon to be and the the history of the Federation to be. But it's far enough that it gave them latitude to do pretty much whatever they want with entirely new species and situations and locations. And for some reason, I just kind of feel like taking things so far into the future is removing them way too much from the world that we know. Now, I'm not going to prejudge season three because there's a chance, there's a very good chance considering the pedigree of this writer's room when they're in their element that it could be phenomenal. And I'm fully hopeful that that's going to be the case. But I also am one of the the Star Trek fans who believes that the continuity is one of its strengths. I like when things get kind of tied together. I mean, that can be a an Achilles heel in some respect. But I also like the idea of having reverberating events that kind of echo across centuries that can connect the likes of Captain Archer with Captain Picard, you know, and granted we haven't really seen too many exploitations in the modern age of Star Trek since the 21st century rolled around to, to connect them together. But the potential has always been there. And I feel like that potential is completely blown out of the water by pushing them for all intents and purposes, a millennium into the future. So I love what I did love about this episode was getting a really cool opportunity for discovery and the enterprise to team up. Uh, I mean, if, if there's ever a single image that clearly demonstrates how much they are bear hugging the continuity, it is that. And uh, seeing captain Pike in his element on the enterprise, seeing the enterprise reimagined period was really emotional for me. Uh, surprisingly so, but um I, I guess I'm just nervous about how this show is going to progress. Obviously, this is just the beginning of how CBS All Access is going to be leveraging the Star Trek franchise, potentially into things that have not yet been announced, hopefully a Pike show. But um, yeah, I don't know, guys. 
I was left a little bit cold at the end of this one, to be honest. Well, I, I, I would say that part of part of that may have something to do with the way these seasons are narratively designed, um, you know, from from the from the conclusion backwards. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the fact is that they knew this is where they wanted to end. They knew they wanted to go into the future, and and that that creates this, uh, y- y- you know, it, it it creates this this uh, this need to kind of do everything that they need to do to set that stuff up so that they can get to the end. But then uh, again, like like you said, you know, uh, much of the same issues that they had last season and the in you know the final couple of episodes of last season. I think they did have they did suffer from that and and both you and Rachel uh, you know said that um where they just ran out of time right to to really flesh out the things that they wanted because they knew they you know so like we can gloss over all the the sciency stuff and the timey wimey stuff, just because we know we need to get to this endpoint, and let's just get to the endpoint, and that's all that matters. Now, what I will say in regards to them going into the future is that it's probably the most Star Trek thing that they could do, um, because it is now we are entering as fans. And as, uh, you know, as fans of this show and of fans of this franchise, we are entering the final frontier. We are entering a, a, a completely undiscovered and unknown to us territory of space, time in space. You might say an undiscovered country. Yes, you might. <laughs> you, 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 you could say if you know if if you were if you were Chris Clow. Um but, <laughs> but this the I mean the fact is now we have got a blank canvas from from which they can paint a picture um with this show with the characters that they, you know, with the scenarios that they enter themselves into, with the dynamics uh, that they have. Now, because, you know, like, we as fans know of two beings, potentially, that exist in this time outside of that crew. One is Dr. Burnham, and and the other is uh the dude from Calypso. Craft. Uh Craft, right? That's it. That's all we know. Right? And well, and, and because granted, yeah, go ahead. There's a, there's the potential to that there's now room for these characters to encounter other beings where time has no meaning. Q. Q is Q comes to mind. Right. Yes. And, and the prophets honestly come to mind, sure. uh, you know, and, and the prophets could even potentially, I, I would love to see the prophets re-explored in, in a future show, especially considering that time is a simplistic thing to be kind of looked down upon. So I'll grant you, I'll, I'll totally grant you that. I have no, no issue with anything that you just said. Can I, can I add, add Please. something too? Um, I, I think that as as a concept, uh, I would have been opposed to another Star Trek show if it was set 
this far ahead in the future. Uh, just cold. I think what what we're what we're doing now with discovery though is intriguing to me because you have a group of characters who are going to be on the exact same page as the audience, which is what is this unknown future? What does it what does it offer us? And in essence, it's uh, it's people from Star Trek's quote unquote present. Who, which we all are familiar with, right? So we know the the vernacular and just how things work in the 23rd century. And now they're forced to deal with whatever the hell things are like in the, you know, in the 32nd century or whatever it is. Um, that's, that's what makes it intriguing to me. So, so if the, again, if this were like, oh, this is the USS whatever, and now we're just in this year, that would not be as fun to me. And that's something that the creators of Star Trek themselves have constantly pushed back on. Like at some point you move so far ahead that just the human experience is not something we would be able to relate to that far, that far along. So this is a good way of licking that problem because they, they've spent the first two years developing who these people are. We know them. We know their shorthand. We know their interaction. We know how the discovery works. And we are now far enough ahead that you don't have to worry about like keeping your elbows close to your side so that you don't accidentally tip over something that's going to affect canon later. I mean, I think in many ways, and since we're doing like, you know, Trek metaphors, it is the best uh-huh. of both worlds. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> well, and let me let me ask you this, Zachy, because as as he as he's in his b boy stance, <laughs> <laughs> how did you know? Oh, that's that's good. Uh, well, when it comes to the canon, and I guess repositioning discovery in a place that is unexplored, do you find the idea of moving so far ahead? more or less attractive than the idea of just maybe moving, I don't know, like let's say 10 years beyond where the Picard show is. Like, is that distance the thing that helps provide some of the value of this concept to you? Yeah. I mean, they need a Blake canvas, right? It doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me to put it far close enough to because because here's the thing you have to imagine that the folks involved all everyone involved with Picard etc Picard is not the the end uh, of the road for whatever exploration they plan to do in the 24th/25th slash century so why be boxed in potentially I see you know, uh, I I think you know when you when you talk about the fact that Next Generation was placed far enough ahead that that you know it it didn't bump up into anything that the original series stuff was going to do. The, the the part of that that's important though is that the the original series era was basically over by the time Next sure. Generation started. They were on the way out. You know, I mean, you had two more movies, but it, there there wasn't going to be much stuff coming right so so it, it, it whereas now again however many seasons patrick stewart does i'm fairly certain the the assumption and the goal is to have that show be a launch point mm-hmm. to something else they've said they want star trek to be uh, you know uh, an assembly line again so it makes sense to me to say all right well let's put discovery down there and and nothing that Picard does will potentially bump up and and have to be something the Discovery people have to worry about. Otherwise, they're just you know I mean the whole thing is they're trying to escape the shackles of of mm-hmm. continuity. Uh, and you know I mean it, it makes sense to me that okay well they're giving themselves a thousand years of of runway or eight hundred years of runway if, you know from post uh, you know Voyager and Picard whatever. 
I mean, that's that's plenty of, of room to avoid anything that's going to come up. So uh, I think it's I think you know I, I and again they could completely shit the bed for all I know. I mean, we'll find out next year. But I'm definitely looking at it like, well, I see why they did it. I can appreciate the wisdom and how they've done it. Now let's see what they do with it. Yeah, I, I think that's understandable. What do you think, Rachel? Yeah. Well, I think Discovery is going to do some Discovery. <laughs> it truly is Star Trek Discovery. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. think I think it's I'm excited because they can do anything. Yeah. They can do anything that they want. And we're all assuming that they're gonna like stay in that time, but they still have like a time travel suit. Right. They could <laughs> go other times. They could Go wherever they could go see Picard. Mm-hmm. Go hang out with them. <laughs> um, so I think it's it's cool. It's I think it's filled with possibilities, and uh, I'm gonna miss Spock and Captain Pike, and I'm gonna miss the little nods to continuity, mm-hmm. but. I'm mostly excited for what comes next. Mm-hmm. All right. So the question is, will you miss Captain Pike and Spock? Yeah. I, I mean, that is, that's, that's worth talking about. I mean, Zachy alluded to the idea that CBS definitely wants to run with Star Trek on an ongoing basis. If they want to keep that going, I mean, you guys saw the news the same way that I did that now there's a Nickelodeon animated show coming and it's probably not designed for us, but it's designed for creating new Star Trek fans, right? which I'm certainly all for. And hell, I'll watch it. I mean, they know me. It's like, hey, you nerd, you're going to watch this anyway, aren't you? You damn nerd. Here's some Star Trek, you little bastard. Here you go. <laughs> That's what they're going to do. And I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what they do with it, but- if there is anything that is just like a made to order new ongoing Star Trek series. And you know, the thing that kind of clinched it for me, they, I, I found out that the enterprise bridge set was not a redress. They actually built it on another stage. Right. Why would you do that? If you're not going to use it again, that's exactly right. You know, I mean, it's just yep. the money thing, right? I, right. I'm surprised that they let that detail out into the public, to be honest. But um, I mean, you could you could tell just from looking at the thing that they spent right. some money. Well, let let let's let's get into that part of it a little bit. Start it over again. It's pedantic continuity time. Oh, I don't know if Zach had heard that before. <laughs> oh man, it's it's great every time. <laughs> well, so I, I alluded to the idea that seeing the Enterprise again, particularly from the inside, it it was it was legitimately emotional for me because yes, obviously they're different sets. There's a different philosophy of the design that's associated with it. I still recognized it, and seeing that ship. Yes in that way in such a heroic capacity i was literally i was legitimately overcome with emotion you see because it was like seeing an old friend again uh with with a new coat of paint sure 
but that was still the enterprise. Like the the design philosophy, particularly on the bridge. I mean, that chair is like a perfect reimagining, but still immediately recognizable. And I just loved seeing that ship again. Uh, on this show, we doubted a year ago whether or not the Enterprise would even appear, much less that we would see the interiors of it. Uh, Zachy, what was your reaction to seeing the, the Enterprise reimagined in this way? I mean, it, it's just beautiful. I mean, what what I love is that it's visually of a piece with the bridge from the original series to the point where you, you, you believe that they are one and the same. Uh, you don't have to do a lot of mental gymnastics to get there. You know I mean? It, 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 uh, a real effort was made to preserve the, 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 the aesthetic, like you said, uh, so that it, yeah, you're like, this is, I mean, it, they've gussied it up. I mean, to be perfectly honest, I, I, I wish the Kelvin bridge sure. had looked like yeah. that, you know, yeah, I don't disagree with you. Uh, 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 the, the Kelvin Enterprise Bridge, I should say, you know, uh, and and I think I think that's and by the way, uh, connected with that, am, am I imagining this because I haven't seen anybody mention this, but it sure looked to me like the way the Enterprise comes out of dry dock at the end, it looks like they've refitted it to look like oh, yeah. the TOS completely. Yes. yes. Okay, because I I haven't seen anybody online talk about that, and I'm like, is that just in my head? Okay, so it's and that not just, then. Okay, and, and that just goes <laughs> back to the idea that they are making the extra effort to make s- things line up yes. as is, at least as much as is feasible. And and here's another cool thing I thought a little callback to the cage, which was the yes. final shot when we're on the bridge of the Enterprise. We pull out through the top yes. of the 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 yes. bridge dome. And then we see the Enterprise, which is exactly how we come in on the bridge yeah. uh, in the cage. I, I, I loved I that. that. It was cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, it was, it yeah. was just – it was really great seeing that ship again. I mean, uh, basically for the first time really since Star Trek III. Uh, uh, yeah. And that was, that was the Enterprise that ultimately gets destroyed to, to stay out of the hands of Commander Kruge and his crew. So <laughs> – I, I truly feel like for CBS knows they know how much fans loved Anson Mount in this role. They know it. It's it's the the one thing everyone, regardless of how they feel about Discovery, can agree on is that the Pike stuff has been just on point. So they're not stupid. They've got a, a potential hit show in their back pocket. Of course they know, and I'm I'm. I'm fairly certain that we will get an official announcement within the next like six months. It's, I think it's, I think I, I, I truly feel like they it's got to arrange to drive the dump trucks full of money up to Anson Mount's house. <laughs> yes. That's, that's really it. Those are the, the, you know, the, the, the niggling details they have to work out, but yeah. I think it's going to happen. Cicero, what do you think? Yeah, uh, when I when I saw the the interior of the bridge, I was like, man, I can't wait until I'm watching the uh, the Pike Spock Enterprise, you know, <laughs> Enterprise show uh, that's on that's on CBS. It, it's got to happen. It's got to happen. Um, there is and and even if it's you know even if it's a limited run series, yeah, it's got to happen. Um, you know that they if they decide to do. Uh, five or six 
hour to hour and a half long episodes mm-hmm. um, and, and just say, all right, boom, here we go. This is it. Um, you know, call it 1701 or something like that. Uh, that would be go, a cool they, title, Star Trek they, 1701. There you go, guys. It's, a, it's another one from the hit factory that is just wrong. Star so. Trek Enterprise 2. I want Pike's Place. Pike's Place. Pike's Place. <laughs> <laughs> place, place. <laughs> um, yeah, so, I, man, I, I mean, they've got to do it. They've got to do it. Uh, I, I mean, it's just they knew what they had when they casted him. Um, and, and the response from the, from the fans, uh, has, has been universally, uh, positive. Um, so, so uh, if they're, if they're in the business of making money, if they're in the business of trying to gain fans, um, which, you know, both of those things are true. They will definitely figure out a way to get, uh, you know, get Anson Mount, Ethan Peck, and Rebecca Remain um, to remain on to Romaine um, <laughs> in, in, in those roles, uh, so that they can they can do more with it and um, potentially, Chris, give you what you've always wanted—a first name for number one. Hey. Well, so that's another thing so, too, because apparently they did. He said, "Really?" Somebody said yes. that he I said Una, and I don't know when. Oh. Una, when? The, so there was, I guess that um, it was mislabeled on the subtitles for the episode. Uh, so there's dispute among the embedded fans that yeah. the name was actually uttered on screen, but. The, it looks like there was a point where Pike just said that Una has the con, and he and he calls her Una really? directly to her face. So, oh. I, you know what? Actually, live peek behind the curtain. I'm going to look on Memory Alpha and see right now if they have actually settled that. You mean you don't have this stuff uh, at just like <laughs> consigned to memory, Chris? You know what? I quit. I quit this show. Forget it. It, right. it says at the top of her memory alpha page, also informally known as Una. So well, apparently they said go. it, and that's that's right. Yeah, Una yes, meaning number right, one. Right. But that I mean that's in line with a name. I love that game, Una. Oh yeah, there's even there's even a notice at the top of the number one memory alpha page that it has been suggested this article be renamed to Una. You can discuss this suggestion on the talk page. That would, that's a fun talk yeah, page. <laughs> that would be that would be fun to watch. But um but that's in line with with what we've seen from her in some expanded universe materials, most recently in the um the Desperate Hours novel where she's a principal character. And I'm sure that they'll run with it in the Enterprise War, which is that upcoming novel about what the Enterprise was up to while everyone else was fighting the Federation Klingon War. But let me ask you um you guys a question because when discovery obviously first came into the fold there were a lot of criticisms leveled by the embedded fans about what it was trying to do and how it was trying to fit into the continuity do you think a show that is ostensibly doing the same thing but is led by recognizable characters on a recognizable starship would have the same resistance attached to it. Zachy? 
Wow. Uh, that's a really good question. I think that, I mean, when we look at the critiques that were lodged against Discovery at the start, I mean, we sort of have to pick through the sort of different tendrils because there's like the, the anti-SJW yeah. crowd yeah. doing their crazy thing. Uh, there's also the the you know the the pedantic continuity people who are like what's the spore drive how where are those uniforms from what the hell and then like how you know again how come we didn't hear about spock's sister and this and that so i think that the discovery people and and let's let's stipulate that there have been growing pains on this show i mean it's not like they went in with this end in mind i mean we know that there have been behind the scenes shuffling and stuff so um I, I think there was a bit of a learning curve where maybe some of the folks involved earlier on didn't or misjudged just how much uh, like canonical concerns mm-hmm. would be a thing. Um, but I think what we see uh, what with what season two has done, and especially what we see with uh, you know h- how they reimagined the Enterprise, how they reimagined those TOS era uniforms, is I think if you have something that feels visually of a piece people like i don't think people want necessarily a recreation to the extent of like trials and tribulations or you know the, the mirror episodes of enterprise i don't think people want that necessarily they just want something that feels like it could fit together and i think that was the problem a lot of people had with some of the the stylistic choice of discovery made and i also want to say i was not one of those people i was just like all right well this is a thing fine you know uh but and and I would I would say that includes all of us on this panel. I'm I'm genuinely curious how how whether we four are indicative of the majority of Trek fans, like the silent majority, or is it more the the pedantic continuity people who are more? I don't know. Uh, but circling back around to your initial question, Chris, I mean, I think the 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 certainly the back half of season two has been. A, a backdoor pilot for a potential Captain Pike show, and clearly people are on board with it. So I I think uh, whatever niggles people might have, I I can't imagine those are going to be things. I mean, they, they when you think about it, they leaned right into, hey, here's what's going to happen to Captain Pike. We know it. So it's like there's no getting around that. And now it's like, okay, well we've got this many years of adventures, and I think there's room for a a modern day star trek show that's specifically engineered to evoke the feeling i would certainly love that there's no question about that uh no 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 that's that's exactly what i'm looking for (laughs) i mean there is there is quite a gap between where we leave the characters at the end of discovery season two and the transition of command from pike to kirk you know there's can you imagine yes, like a series that finale? That's the finale. Wild. Like Captain, you know, Captain Kirk on the bridge. We don't even see Captain Kirk. You know, like yeah, I could see I, something really cool I, like that. You know, Cicero, what do you think about that? Uh, that question. Do you? Are, what do? You, well, do you think the pan, this panel is indicative of that silent majority, like Cicero said, or like the like Zachy said? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, you just gave me a compliment. <laughs> or, or do you? Or the do you backhanded, most really? backhanded compliment of all time. Oh, um, Right. Um, yeah. Well, I, I think like like Rachel said, uh, I, I, you know, when when you when you look to the Internet as as the um, the litmus test, the barometer for uh, for 
not necessarily rational thought, but the but the barometer for the taking the temperature of of how fans think, um, or you know what people think about a particular thing. Um, you're you're always going to miss the 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 majority of people because you're going to have people that are overwhelmingly positive about a thing. You're going to have people that are overwhelmingly negative about a thing, and those are going to be the people that are are the most most vocal, um, the people that that like the thing and don't necessarily have anything uh, demonstrative or explosive to say are probably going to sit back and maybe, uh, m- you know, maybe observe uh, mm-hmm. the conversation around things, but not necessarily right. add anything to that conversation because there's, there's nothing that they can add to the conversation that is going to be n- – you know, noteworthy in end quote. So I, I, I do believe that, uh, the people, uh, that most, most fans of discovery are, are fans that are similar to us that, uh, you know, are most fans of the franchise are fans that are similar to us that are, are able to appreciate what we're getting, um, able to appreciate what the, the writers are doing with this particular show, and and are happy with the fact that one we've got new trek uh and two that that they're they're not destroying the thing that you love um they're only doing things to enhance uh your enjoyment of of the thing that you love with regards specifically to a new enterprise series or you know with regards to star trek 1701 uh, as it as it will be titled um it, you can send it, the check to cicero Holmes. yes yes care of discovery debrief um <laughs> as popularized by jason isaacs um the, <laughs> the the thing that i think is that there is plenty of room and and, and i also do think that for for the people that were uh were vocal naysayers about discovery especially given its timeline given given the you know the 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 time in which it was set and and the stylistic choices that um both both uh cosmetically and technologically um that that the uh creators of the show made with discovery um because of where it was set um wouldn't have those same issues with a uh Pike led with 1701 um, simply because all of those things are out of the, out, out the window. We know where the show ends, you know, or we, we, we know the time frame that, that it can exist within. So that's already set. And, and the best part is we don't know anything else. We don't know anything else about, you know, we know, we know the cage, we know the menagerie, and we know nothing else about Pike and number one and Spock's time with that crew. Uh, so they can have whatever adventures and misadventures they, they'd want to have within, within this show for however long they'd want to have them without anyone really having a problem with them having those, uh, having those experiences with you know with the exception of course of of doing things that Spock did 
you know, for the first time with Kirk and, and, and the, you know, and the, the crew of the TOS enterprise. Um, so like, but outside of that, hmm. they've got plenty of space to do plenty of things, which is, which is ironically enough, exactly where discovery is right now. Sure. Very well. That that's the alternate title <laughs> yes, for the yes. pipe show. Plenty of space to <laughs> well, do things. It's been a long time since there has been a Star Trek show led by a Starship Enterprise. Yes. And I mean, if we can get a new show that's led by the Enterprise, no bloody A, B, C, or B, or E, I'd be all for it. But Rachel, what do you think? Oh, Zachy, please. Yes. I just when you, when you said it's been a long time, I truly thought you were about to launch into thinking the Enterprise. We are we are on a Star Trek podcast. Here. Uh, what do I think, Chris? About Pike Show, you think that it's an inevitability that it will be embraced by the fandom in a way that maybe Discovery has struggled to do, at least with a vocal minority. Maybe it will. I mean, I don't know. I think probably the majority of fans are like us because I. Th- I'm pretty sure, like, okay, like I'm 100% sure we did mention pedantic continuity things. Like, uh, yeah, the Klingons, they don't look the same. Where's their hair? Like, stuff yeah. like that. And then they brought their hair back and yeah. brought the D7 back and then showed us the Bridge of the Enterprise. <laughs> yeah, but I think, like, a person is not their pedantic. It's a, a person is not their, their emotions are not defined by the pedantic comments that they make. Like you, you have these thoughts. I think most people have these thoughts. Maybe they write them on the internet. Maybe they complain, but then they're not like sitting there all day, you know, going to their job, just being like, Oh, the uniforms, (laughs) the uniforms guys, like, like the Klingons, they don't care. Like, you know, you do it. There and are holograms. There are holograms. <laughs> yeah, you do it. You move on. You you notice, but I don't like you notice. But I don't know if you know noticing and being like, hmm, that kind of it doesn't make sense. Doesn't necessarily mean it's like bothering you on a constant visceral level or like really interfering with your enjoyment of mm. the show. And I think there, you know, there probably are people who are, are, you know, spending their days at work worrying about some of this stuff, but they are not the majority because most people are too busy for that. I wish I had time to worry about this stuff. (laughs) Honestly. (laughs) It's, you know, it, the, the whole, the whole notion of continuity and canon and the way it really does for some people, it, it's a it's a it's a prison and for other people it's an opportunity you know and i i just certainly for me just as a fan uh, whenever i see something that seems to conflict with something that came before reflexively i'm like yeah well let's figure out how we can make it fit uh you know that's that's just where my mind goes i'm like well maybe this maybe that. i don't know you know it's there it's part of it so let's let's find a way you know it's fine and and then you have other people like oh it doesn't fit it doesn't count and and that's that itself is just so fascinating to me. It's like, it's like why why close why close doors? Well, like if you don't want to watch it, the, that's the potential fine. too for for a show that's led by Pike and the Enterprise and Spock, also I think has more of an opportunity to pick up any of the remaining twenty third century threads that Discovery has now effectively left behind. Sure. 
Uh, I mean, the the Section Thirty One show, I'm sure we'll we'll yeah. go a little bit further in exploring some of those things, and you know, I'm sure that we'll see Laurel again potentially in that show. But uh, if we could have a show that's led by the Enterprise, which could maybe even be canonized at this point in time as the Federation flagship, then uh, I would love to see something like that. And that's just before you even get to the idea that Anson Mount's portrayal of Captain Pike has effectively become the definitive one yeah. just by nature of how much time he spent with the role. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and I would certainly love to see that. Well, and, and, and by the way, Chris, if Anson Mount never plays Captain Pike again, he has still created this amazing legacy where people yes. think yeah. of him as one of yeah. the great Star Trek captains. And that's extraordinary. I mean, I see it online all the time. I mean, my 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 kid, <laughs> Captain Pike, and, is so cool. Wow! And <laughs> would you have ever expected, before you had any kids, to hear your kid say that? Yeah, <laughs> that's a weird <laughs> sentence. I wouldn't have expected. So under actually, those Chris is yeah, exactly. uh, our Chris is emulating Captain Pike in his life. He has now what? started to say "hit it." Ah. <laughs> He doesn't even realize it, but I, I see it. I'm I like, do? all right, let's hit it. <laughs> like, you're... Well, all right. he, he is a god among men. Yes. <laughs> worth, worth emulating. There you go. Before, well, so, so before we go, Chris, yes. and I know we're, we're going to go real soon, but um, you, you mentioned it really quickly. What is uh, everyone's thoughts on uh, the potential of the Section 31 show um, now – Headed by Javid Iqbal. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Which yeah, is his so dad's cool. name? Did you guys know that? Um, but uh, yeah, but but uh, headed by now. Uh, I don't know, Commander Tyler. I don't even know what his name would be. Like what his well, title that, is. Um, there are clearly some unresolved aspects of this season finale because it's a show that we know is going to be led uh, by Michelle Yeoh. Right. And uh, so we haven't seen may, – maybe she's even going to spend time on Discovery Season 3 and we'll see how she gets back to the 23rd century. Right. Uh, presuming – I mean, maybe the show won't even be in the 23rd century. I honestly – I don't know because the only cast member that I know that's confirmed for that show is Michelle Yeoh. But uh, I'm still really interested in seeing more about what that organization was up to in other areas of the canon myself. Zachy, what do you think? Are you, are you up on section 31? I, I mean, th- what we know is that, but that what they've done now is essentially reduced section 31 to where it's supposed to be by yeah. the point of, you know, deep space nine. Uh, however, I mean, by the time of deep space nine, it's still like a shady sketchy organization. It's just kind of on the, on the Lolo. So my thought is if they're like, all right, Ash, we want you to like fix this thing Maybe, and make it work. It's right. like, well, did or he fail? Then? I mean, I would love a, an anthology section 31 <laughs> you know? show. Like, Oh, Hey, it was section 31 that uh, orchestrated the assassination of chancellor Gorkon. You know, stuff like that. They're not going to do that, but I would like to. Rachel, Section 31, you (laughs) optimistic? How do you feel? I don't know. I feel confused. (laughs) I'm sure they'll figure it out. (laughs) Well, then, and that's, that's, uh, I think, a good way to close out this episode because just. I feel confused. Well, no. (laughs) Just because uh, the show is called Discovery Debrief, but I think the plan 
for all of us is to stick with whatever forms the Star Trek franchise takes going forward. Uh, We all enjoy getting together. I think that's a pretty safe thing to say. And uh, we have new elements of this franchise to explore. I don't think we plan on renaming the show. Um, What? Like all access debrief or something stupid like that. But uh, (laughs) now that that Jason has said our name, I think that's it. But hey. Yeah. We've we've been anointed the word of by, Lorca. That's it by Gabriel Lorca. But uh, <laughs> no, I mean, um, I think that whatever form this franchise takes, as long as people enjoy hearing what we have to say about Star Trek, we're going to talk about Star Trek. Does that sound good to you guys? It sounds good to me. <laughs> yeah. Can Can I please add do. one yes, more observation do. about the episode? I wanted to say this before we drop. Uh, and this is something I think I mentioned to, to Cicero uh, last week off mic, but um, at the end of this episode, as Michael is preparing to leave and she gives Spock her her last advice as his older sister, and she says, find that person who is just the exact opposite of you and go towards them. Let them be your guide. Uh, an incredibly emotional, poignant moment. Uh, I, I was watching with my kid, my 10-year-old. He, yeah. he looks at me. He's like, oh, she's talking about Captain Kirk. I love I love that people know the Spock Kirk relationship enough to know that. Uh, but here's the other thought I had, and this is how canon can be this amazing thing that stretches forward and retroactively and becomes this amazing tapestry. To me, what I love is here is Spock at the beginning of his journey getting this advice that will define who he is, and then we jump ahead, you know, to the very end of his life as he's in an alternate timeline. And he meets himself in a timeline where he never knew Michael Burnham. And he gives himself that exact advice in Star Trek 2009. And so that bit now, when you watch it in the 2009 movie, we now have this added context. He's, he's passing on this thing that was given to him by his sister. And we didn't have that context True. in 2009 because that piece yeah. of continuity never existed. Just blew my I, just, mind, I don't know. Daddy. I just, I love that. I love <laughs> that. That's, that's how... Like, whoa. No, it's, it's, it's true though. And, um, maybe, maybe one of the writers of the 2009 movie being associated with discovery has something to do with that. But either way, that is one of the absolute strengths of having continuity. You're absolutely right. in weaving that tapestry. I agree. Yeah. And and I mean when with the two with the Kelvin movies they didn't just do like a Battlestar Galactica and just ignore everything they said no yeah. we're gonna find a way to make this connect and so even the rebooted Star Trek is oh, yeah. part of this Absolutely. tapestry and I, that's that's well, what I love about it either way uh, I think we're all looking forward to seeing what forms the Star Trek franchise takes in the future because really and. I had no idea that this was going to be the case when we started this show, but it discovery is clearly a first step into more and bigger exploitations in this universe that we all love. And I'm really looking forward to going on that journey with you guys. Um, but that is going to do it. So I think the plan for the next episode, obviously Star Trek Discovery is all finished. We'll probably have a recap episode at some point that kind of goes over the entire season. Uh, we have some promises to keep when it comes to guests of this show, uh, making either a first appearance or a return appearance. And we're going to have a lot to talk about between now 
And I think the next show that we're going to talk about is the Picard show that's still slated to premiere later this year. So, um, but until we meet again, so the next time we'll probably be giving you a debrief, taking a little bit of a detour into the Marvel Cinematic Universe by giving you our perspectives on Avengers Endgame. Uh, But until then, that's going to do it for episode number 41 of Discovery Debrief. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please like and follow us on our social media channels. And if you'd be so kind, we'd also appreciate it if you wrote a review for the show on iTunes or Facebook. It only takes a minute and we'll be happy to read your review on the air when it's posted. Speaking of which, Debrief is engaged into a partnership with the developers of officially licensed browser-based game Star Trek Alien Domain Incursion. Send us proof of your review of the show on social media or via email, and we'll send you a key code that's worth approximately $60 of in-game items. It's that simple. If you have any questions, you can follow the show on Twitter at DSC Debrief, where you can also find all of our individual Twitter handles. And feel free to send us questions through Twitter, our Facebook-like page, or by emailing us directly at hailingfrequencies at discoverydebrief.com. Please be sure to set your courses for this feed for future episodes discussing the wide, great tapestry that is Star Trek, and be sure to join us as we convene next time to discuss quite a different pop culture topic, but we'll be getting to a whole lot more Star Trek as we prepare for what comes next. As always, though, until we meet again, please go boldly, my friends. Thank you.